Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at sidebarforever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. Who remembers the old Dell, Gold Key, and Charlton comics? Weird offbeat characters like Magnus Robot Fighter, Dr. Solar, and the original Blue Beetle. How about Archie Comics with this never-ending soap opera about a group of teenagers living in the fictional town of Riverdale? Well, today we discuss those publishers, their titles, and even some of the creators who worked for them on an episode we're calling Forgotten Comics. Now as publishers, Dell, Gold Key, and Charlton shut down their presses decades ago, but in their day, they put out tons of books mostly public domain characters like Hercules and the Werewolf, licensed TV shows such as Star Trek and The Twilight Zone, and yeah, a few original heroes like Magnus and Blue Beetle. Meanwhile, in Riverdale, Archie, Betty, Veronica, and the rest of the gang have remained in print for over 70 years. On the podcast, we discuss all of the aforementioned, including our initial impressions of these publishers as young readers, and how a lot of Gold Key, Charlton, and Archie characters live on to this very day. I'm Adrian Johnson. Take a trip down memory lane with Swain and I as we dig through long boxes, searching for back issues of Forgotten Comics. Yeah, man, I was doing some uh, some reading and doing some thinking about our uh, our topic. Yeah, it's so weird to me, like thinking back on like Dell and Gold Key, and and even Charlton to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like, like when I was a kid, you know, you know, I, I like I don't know if I've told the story on the show. I'm pretty sure I have, but when we lived in Chicago, there was a guy down the street named Ricky. That's right. You you've mentioned it, but please, I have. Yeah. Okay. He lived down the street from us on uh, South Vernon Avenue, South Side of Chicago, and I believe he worked in a grocery store. And so, you know, I had a few friends in the neighborhood, and they knew I liked comics. Oh, if you like comics, you need to go to Ricky's house. He got a bunch of comics. I was like, really? <laughs> so, you know, they knocked on his door. Yeah, he likes comics. You know, you you he want to see your comics and all that. Come on in. I mean, now this is 1970s. You know, we going to some strange man's house. You know, just. <laughs> Everything about it was wrong, but we, you know, we did it, you know. Yeah. And we get in, and he had comics everywhere, stacked up on the dining room table in the living room. Wow. Like, like bunches of them. He was probably stealing them from the grocery store. Oh. Okay. Uh, there was a real popular grocery store in uh, in Chicago called uh, Del Farm. Uh, and he was probably stealing them from Del Farm, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So he, you know, he gave me a bunch of comics, and so you know, back then I'm reading, you know. Your normal Superman, Batman, you know, Justice League, Wonder Woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Ghost Rider, Defenders, you know, just whatever's out. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to remember, like, the first time I saw, like, Dell and Gold Key, where it was just like, like what is this? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you were immediately aware, like, looking at the comics, like, the artwork was kind of, you know, blander. The colors were kind of drabber and... Mm-hmm. kind of desaturated in a way and 
you know, the, the covers, you know, they had, you know, a lot of them had like painted covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those covers were more akin to like, uh, like the covers from like paperback sci-fi novels from like the 60s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more like that. I mean, it was, it was like, I was like, this must be what like the, what the, what the, like the, the settlers in the United States you know what they read as comics you know Damn. or you know <laughs> these are the comics they gave the slaves to read so i just you know i just it just was like so foreign from mainstream comics yeah but then you know later on as i really became a deeper fan of comics and all that i i kind of started to kind of appreciate them for the charm that they had mm-hmm. and the kind of one-offness and the kind of off-brandness of it mm-hmm. um I mean, what what was your experience? All right, so yeah, basically my experience was like um, you would see them always in the bargain bin, the cutout bin. Yeah, you know, you yeah. go to the shop, you know, just for a quarter and everything. But 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 when I got into the hobby, though, I knew about more gold key and Dells uh, by way of you know, and, and Charlton's by way of. You probably can sympathize with this when you're making checklists of your favorite artists. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And you start collecting like, you know, oh, man, they did this and this and this. And then you come across like, for instance, let's take John Byrne, for instance. All right. John Byrne, you go through his early work before he really started landing consistent work at Marvel. Mm -hmm. There's stuff from Charlton like <laughs> Doomsday plus one, uh, Chopper and the Wheelie Butch, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emergency, that old TV show. Yeah. You know, he did yeah. an adaptation of that. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, wow. And you're thinking like, man, well, I, I got to have everything. So I got to track these down. That's it. And then later That's on, it. You know, <laughs> with Gold <laughs> Key in particular, um, Frank Miller's first work, his first book. Twilight Zone. <laughs> yes, Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone. 80, 84. <laughs> yes, like, and I hunted it down and bought it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, you look at that type of stuff, and it's like, oh, man, this is great because, for one, it was giving a lot of these artists that we took to be superstars now, or, you know, or the then-present, they had to start somewhere to cut their eye teeth, you know, to really get their feet wet into doing monthly assignments and actually, you know, doing comics. You know what I mean? Right. And then on the other hand, the other the other charm about those comics, too, is, is like we have independent comics, um, independent comic companies today, but nothing like those. And what I mean is, is that, you know, those comics back then, like Dell, Gold Key, uh, Charlton, Archie. You know, all of those type of companies like that, Warren, you know, those were comics put out and they were very accessible. You know, it was very much unlike today to where it was on the, you know, like as per your story, you know, it was on grocery racks. You know, it was, you know, just in airports, just some just something to where anybody could pick them up. And, you know, you right. would your parents might pick up a couple just to shut you up. You know, went on a long road trip or something like, hey, hey, you know what I'm saying? And you'd be good for like an hour or two, you know, just rereading everything. So there's a charm to that, you know, with those type of um, those particular comics, you know. And I know the topic, you know, is forgotten comics, but I think for a lot of people, for a lot of readers, you know, those comics were probably very formative, you know, as far as like, you know, they were there so omnipresent that, you know, 
that those were probably their formative, you know, forays into reading comics rather than even the mainstream stuff from the big two. You know what I mean? No, no, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but where the comics would come in a pack. Three pack. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. So you might have like a Fantastic Four on the outside. You try to see what do they got stuck in the middle? <laughs> what is this? And then you so you buy. OK, OK, I'm going to get Fantastic Four and I'm going to get Ghost Rider. And then you open it up and it was like Richie Rich in the middle or, yes, yes. You know, or Green Hornet or Adam 12 <laughs> or something like that. And you're like, God damn, they got me for my 75 cent. You know? <laughs> but, but like you said, to some extent, that was some people's first comics were those comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, I don't know, to, to, I guess to, to a degree, like you said, you know, you kind of kind of eventually understood the charm of those books. And also like from like going back to your story about, you know, having a want list and trying to collect everything by a creator, a writer, an artist that you really liked. In our cases, you know, mostly uh, artists. Mm-hmm. But you could. So, for instance, if you went back and got Emergency or Chopper or Doomsday Plus One, you could track on a spectrum when did john burns start as a professional and when did he kind of start becoming the john burns that i discovered him as right exactly on x-men or whatever and for me i could see okay once he got into that iron fist marvel team up era that's when he started becoming the John Byrne that I started to really like. He started to kind of crystallize mm-hmm. and, 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 and really like, uh, you know, harden, you know, his, his, his clay stopped being soft and wet. And he started, it was, he was a sculpture. He was, you know, this, he was the statue of David or he was the, you know, the thinker at that point. It was, it was there. Yeah. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of the importance of going back to those, you know, and then, uh, and for, you know, as Adrian mentioned, we're talking about forgotten comics, you know, Dale Gokey, Charlton and Archie, but like, and I remember telling a story on the show where at Dell farm in Chicago, I remember my father worked in the meat department. Yeah. So, you know, we go to pick him up or whatever. And so I, you know, media, I'm like, where's the magazines in the comic rack? Where's that? At? That's where I'm going. And I'm sitting <laughs> on the floor reading comics. And I remember creepy and eerie. Yeah. And the, and reading the spirit on a magazine rack in a grocery store. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like, you know, and I remember even then thinking, damn, this is the weirdest shit. This guy with this mask on and, you know, but the artwork was so captivating. And I think even then I got a sense that the person telling the story was telling the whole story. Mm. The person was the writer, the artist, that this was coming from a singular vision. This wasn't like, hey, I got an idea or something and I pitch it to an artist and then, you know, some production people put it together and then it comes out. I was immediately aware that this was a storyteller. I'm certain of it. I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I came back to the spirit, even though the spirit's not my favorite Will Eisner or anything. Uh, but that's probably part of the reason why I came back to it. But you mentioned earlier, uh, you said earlier about uh, independent comics. And I wonder if we can really even categorize somebody like Dell or Goldkey or Charlton as independent comics, 
maybe in the sense of them not being Marvel or DC, but I think they had super wide distributions. I think he was either gold or Del key. They had maybe even more distribution than, uh, you know, than DC or maybe, you know, had national periodicals or whatever, or even Marvel, you know, over time, I think they were in like Woolworths and yes, and everywhere like newsstand. They were everywhere. So I wonder if we can even call them independent in the same way we would like some of the you know some of the uh, underground comics of the seventies, mm-hmm. uh, or you know some of the eighties uh, underground comics. You know, like you know Cerebus or uh, Elfquest. You know, Richard and Wendy Penny, or you know something like that. You know, that's that's interesting. That That's an interesting uh, distinction that you made there, man, because, yeah, by, by that classification, you, you, you're kind of right. You know, because, you know, those companies, you know, Dell, Goldkey, you know, that we're discussing, you know, they did have the very, very wide distribution. But also, you know, they had a lot of licensed titles as well, like particular like, you know, um, both, you know, had like licensed titles, but like Dell started way back in like the fifties, you know, like again, going back to the checklist. Actually, actually Dell started in the twenties. They actually, they started way back in the twenties and, and went all the way into to 74. Really? Oh, wow. I didn't know they went that far back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But go ahead and fin- finish your point. I'm sorry. No, no, you're cool. You're cool. Uh, Cause I was going to say like, you know, you would see on checklists, like, especially for like Alex Toth or whatnot, you know, those, um, those uh, Dell comics that he did for like adaptations of Maverick or, you know, Bat Masters and like the Westerns, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the Rifleman and stuff. Um, So Dell would have those and then Gold Key would also do like, you know, um, adaptations of like Star Trek and uh, Twilight Zone, obviously, and other TV shows, you know, and, and they had other stuff besides those licensed, you know, titles as well, you know, and I guess I think of them more as independent because they were an alternative to like, you know, and, and I wonder if people back then, you know, you, you, you would probably be able to answer that for me. Um, did you just look at all of them as just comics or did you say, well, there's Marvel and DC and then there's these over here, you know, like the comics that we're discussing, you know, did you look at it that way or just it's all comics, you know? No, no, no. Kind of what I was saying earlier, I felt like it was comics and then it was these over here day <laughs> what is this and even like archie and richie rich and you know little lotta and you know stuff like that yeah you know that was even something separate to me but you know the superheroes were marvel and dc yeah you know as in my in my nascent stage you know as 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 a you know as as a in the hobby as you put it i was at least aware of that and like I said, later, I kind of was like, OK, I kind of I kind of fuck with Magnus Robot Fighter, you because know? <laughs> his name tells you who he is and what he does with, <laughs> with, the, with the go-go boots, yo, with them. Yes, yes. And that one with piece them. looking like uh, Jack LaLanne or some shit, yo. Yeah, yo, them Nancy Sinatra boots. These boots are made for walking. Do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I was aware of it, but um, but yeah, just to to put it on on point, Dell Comics started publishing in 1929 under Dell Publishing, and then went all the way to 1974, and they were established in New York. And like Adrian was saying, you know, like Felix the Cat, Lone Ranger, Tarzan, Howdy Doody, they had licenses from like uh, Disney and MGM, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, of course Hanna Barbera, 
But they also did like Frankenstein and, and uh, the Wolfman, the Werewolf, and uh, Dracula and Hercules. Yeah. Golki came along in um, 1962, and they published until 1984. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and and of course, you know Magnus Robot Fighter, uh, Green Hornet, Korak, Son of Tarzan. Yeah, Turok, Son of Stone. Turok, uh, Lost in Space. Yeah. And then like Adam 12 and Family Affair, like you're talking about the TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> Why do a TV? All right, just go ahead. Go ahead. Just do your thing. Do your thing. <laughs> and then, you know, Charlton came along. And Charlton has, of course, you know, the roster of characters that we're most familiar with in, you know, from like the uh, 70s and in the Bronze Age and into modern day with uh, like Captain Adam and Peacemaker. Yeah. Uh, Blue Beetle, The Question, Judo Master. <laughs> and Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, you know. There you go, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, who um who published um who published um Dynamo, that Wally Wood joint? Remember Dynamo? Oh. Was it Tower Comics? Was it Tower Comics or did they go underneath another um company? I can't remember, but I loved those books. Uh, cuz I was a big Wally Wood fan. Yes. You know, he had that belt you know, he had the mm. belt on. I, oh, I loved Dynamo, yo. I just, I, I fucking loved anything Wally Wood, to be honest with you. But I can't remember. I can't remember. But I definitely read Wally Wood. And what was the group that he was, I mean, not Wally Wood. I definitely read Dynamo. What was the group that he was in? Oh, uh, Thunder Agents. Thunder Agents, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes yo. Oh, that gets me excited thinking about that, yo. Thunder Agents, yo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's some good stuff, sir. Um, and then we would definitely want to, we want to talk about uh, Archie Comics. Yes. Uh, as it relates to, you know, Archie and Betty and Veronica and Reggie and Jughead and uh, uh, Sabrina and Josie and the Pussycats. And, yeah. And, and Mr. Weatherby. Remember Mr. Weatherby, yo? <laughs> Mr. Weatherby, yes, sir. The principal, yes. So, um, but I do remember, like you said, in the like in the comic shops, you know, and like you like now because comics have been around so long, mm -hmm. it's kind of like um, when you go to quarter bins now, you can actually find some dope shit. Absolutely, because you know so much stuff came out, you know, going into the nineties, uh, the eighties, and the nineties. You can find great stuff for a quarter or 50 cents or something like that, a dollar. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was trash. Hey! <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, when I was a kid, when I was 18, yeah. the quarter bins wasn't about a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just, because everybody was, that was the height of collecting, that was the height of you know, checklists and, you know, the price guide and the price guide would show you who the creators were on the book. So I'd go to get the price guide at the comic shop and I'd be like, okay, he did this, he did that. There was no internet. There was nothing, no way to look it up. Yep. So like you said, that's how I found out about Doomsday Plus One. That's how I found out about Joe Staten on uh, E-Man. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, that's how I found out about Steve Ditko, the, you know, the co-creator of Doctor Strange and Spider-Man you know, worked for Charlton Comics years before, went and worked at Marvel, did Spider-Man, did Doctor Strange, kind of, you know, kind of fell out with Stan and, and Marvel, and then went back to Charlton 
And they re- revamped the Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. You know, he did his Ted Cord Blue Beetle. And uh, and then he did the question, which is like a version of Mr. A. Mr. A. Mr. Yes. A, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and Captain Adam. He revamped Captain Adam, who I think was a different character before he became, you know, the one with the uh, the atomic symbol and the gold and the red and the blue. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and all of that. But um, when did you first encounter Charlton? Hmm. Was that before or after Watchmen? Because Watchmen was in 86. Yes. DC acquired the Charlton characters in 83. And so three years later, we get, you know, the Watchmen doppelgangers that were essentially those Charlton characters. But when did you find out about the Charlton characters? Uh, it would definitely be be much later for me because I got into, you know, comics full on, you know, where I was buying my own in like 93, 94. Okay. And then I worked my way back from that. You know, and as we discussed, the whole thing with the checklist where you're seeing like, you know, so-and-so did this and that. But, you know, firsthand experience with them was actually um, when I was getting really, really into Jim Apero. And I was finding out about, oh, man, he drew the Phantom, you know. And and then also another great resource, too, was like, you know, reading up on like interviews that, you know, these creators would give saying, you mm-hmm. know, when they were talking about their career. Where, you know, I stopped here, I did some work here, uh, I did some work at Charlton, so every, like, two weeks I would have to drive up to, you know, Derby, Connecticut to drop off my pages. <laughs> <laughs> Derby, Connecticut. <laughs> yes, yo. Yeah, man. And, you know, I remember Jim Apparel mentioning that, and he said he loved it. He loved it because they allowed him so much freedom because the rates were not very good, you know, compared to what he was getting with uh, DC. But mm-hmm. he said, you know... Um, he could letter his own stuff. Uh, he could draw it, you know, pencil and ink it. And on some occasions, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was able to write a few stories as well. You know, just, just do like the whole package. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, um, I started getting some of those issues too. I was like, man, but kind of like you said, it wasn't that, 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 that tight, you know, stuff we would know them from DC and Marvel, but it did have some some type of just weird energy to it, to where like, man, you can really get a sense of, okay, they're doing this stuff for Marvel and DC, and that's one way. But then it seems like when they're doing this stuff for Charlton, they're just kind of like cutting loose. Right. You know? Like with Steve Ditko too. You look at some of those um some of those comics that he did with those characters you named, and that that stuff it's just like fun. You can kind of see him like kind of the handcuffs getting getting taken off a little bit for them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when it comes to that type of stuff, yeah, that's kind of where you know I kind of cut my um, cut my teeth with Charlton on. Okay. Okay. I, I'm doing some research. I couldn't really find names for any any of the artists. You know that we probably became fans of in the mainstream, and that actually worked for Dell per se. I'm sure there were. Oh sure. Some of the older guard that preceded the guys from the uh, the eighties that I became fans of, and then for yourself, guys in the eighties and the nineties. Um, I'm sure you know people who were peers of Russ Manning and Al Williamson and all that. They worked for Dell. Oh yeah. At at some point, but definitely like Gold Key, uh, Dan Spiegel worked for Del for Gold Key. Yeah. Uh, Russ Manning, you know, created uh, I think Magnus Robot uh, Robot Fighter for. Uh, That's correct. For mm-hmm. Gold Key. Uh, Steve Skeets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
famous inker Mike Royer. Mike Royer, my man. Yeah, Jack Kirby's, you know, one of his, other than Joe Sennett, I guess really his best inker is... Uh, the best anchor, but go ahead. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lynn Wing and uh, Mark Evanier. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, you know, Frank Miller's, I think one of his very first jobs was uh, was that Twilight Zone. And then can I throw a couple more in there, too? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, man. Um, one that I want to mention is, um, I believe it's uh, Jesse Marsh. Um, okay. He drew uh, Tarzan comics um, for Dell. If you look at his stuff, it is too, how can I say, too like the layperson's eye or to anyone's eye, it looks kind of wonky, okay? You know, like this Tarzan is all just real stout and everything. The musculature is just like very just, and I'm sure the average person will be like, what is he doing? Why is he drawing so, so, so messed up? And it's not messed up. Like when you really look at it, it's like, this stuff is actually very, very energetic or whatnot, but it's probably done very quickly, too. Right. Um, but, yeah, look up Jesse Marsh. Uh, he had an influence on Richard Corbin and um, uh, Jaime Hernandez. You won't see it in Jaime Hernandez's stuff. You won't see it in Jaime's stuff. But he said that he was definitely a fan of Marsh's when he was a kid reading these comics. Mm-hmm. And then also you got um, Pat Boyette and um, Tom Sutton who drew, I believe, at both Charlton and also some stuff for Gold Key as well. You know, just just these guys that were kind of, oh, don't forget Gray Morrow. You know what I'm saying? Oh! Yeah. Oh, yes! Like, we just talking about, like, these solid, just craftsmen, these cartoonists. You know what I'm saying? Like, when, when that was actually a vocation. Yeah. You know, yeah, you would you would go and make the rounds of these publishers. You know, stuff wasn't popping off at Marvel and DC. Okay, well, let me head up to um, Derby, Connecticut. I love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> let me head up to Derby and drop my stuff off. See if they got anything. Let me head over there. Let me just make make the circuit. You know what I'm saying? Like that was a circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's uh, I'm I really miss reading. Those interviews and those stories about, you know, uh, people having to turn in pages in person and going down to the offices and popping in people's, you know, they're working and people are cutting and pasting and writing and yeah. doing copy and, 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 you know, and having a face to face rapport with editors. And, you know, uh, there was a certain kind of romanticism about having to be in New York where the publishers were or in Derby, Connecticut or in, um, uh, I think in, uh, Gokey's case, I think it was Poughkeepsie, New York. Yes. Poughkeepsie, you know, you know, just, just all of that stuff and, and, and having to have that, you know, that FaceTime, you know, with the people that hired you and then, you know, something good coming from it. You know, George Pratt told those stories, you know, being in the DC offices and popping in, Hey, I'd like to do some covers like what, you know, and he goes and grabs a, piece of you know some copier paper or whatever and a pen and you know how about this all right cool you know and he's got a job you know and he's off to the races you know yeah i i do miss hearing and reading those kinds of stories and also like jim starlin didn't work for any of these publishers but reading his interviews and reading about the independent publishers that he worked for and, and things that he did outside of marvel and dc and, and even stuff that he did during that period like uh he did a, uh, it was like a, you know, it was one of his 
sci-fi, his cosmic, you know, characters. I forgot the name, Dark Star or something. It was a character with a dark suit. I know, uh, I know what you're talking about. He had like a bob haircut, and then he had like stars on his on his body. Yes, yes, I I, I know what you're talking about. I cannot yeah. get the name of it, but I see the character. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, just hearing about stuff like that, or even shaking, you know, working for Mike Friedrich, and um, you know, the the very first Cody Starbuck images, you know, uh, and so forth. But other creators, like for Charlton, like I said, I became a real fan of. I loved those Blue Beetles. I love those questions. I love Captain Adam. Um, and But other than Ditko, you know, like Dick Giordano worked for Charlton Comics. You and I talked about that in our exchange before uh, before we started recording. And uh, he ended up becoming, I believe, an editor for Charlton, right? Sure did, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Giordano was there. Frank McLaughlin. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Don Newton. Uh, oh, Don Newton. Don Woo! Newton, sir. Don Newton. <laughs> the great Jim Apero, the late great Jim Apero. Yes, sir. Uh, although quite a few people we're going to talk about here are have uh, are dearly departed at this point. Mm. Uh, Denny O'Neill, mm-hmm. he worked for Charlton. Mike Zeck eventually came on to work for Charlton. Later on, this is way later on. Wait, maybe like a maybe like a reboot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. Uh, mm. But, you know, the thing I think about all these companies that are so interesting to me is, is again, having cut my young teeth on superhero comics, as you probably did. Sure. You know, all these publishers, all these kind of second tier, you know, kind of one off, slightly to the left or slightly to the right publishers, you know, they started in the era where genre was king and queen. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, they were publishing Westerns. Crime, uh, romance books, uh, sci-fi and fantasy comics, and then eventually superheroes, you know, and and, and you see them like, it's kind of like today where uh, Netflix comes along and Amazon and Hulu and these streaming services who now have super deep pockets. But prior to having super deep pockets, they said, look, we've got to get subscribers, which means we've got to have content. So instead of paying all these big licenses for for uh, for friends and for the office and for things like that, let's create our own content. So they said, OK, let's let's let's. And so what happened was is genre movies went to the streaming platforms. That's where they went to live. That's why that's why all the big studios started focusing on blockbusters and these tentpole summer spectaculars, you know, in the superhero movies. If we ain't spending a hundred million dollars on it, it ain't shit. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so similarly, that's kind of what they were doing was like, okay, Marvel and DC, you know, are timely and, you know, national. They're focusing on superheroes. And all that came into the fore, I think, in in, in a big way in the fifties during the Silver Age. So they stayed focusing on what can we make money at, spend a little money making it, and what can we make money on? Okay, let's get the license for the Gunsmoke comic. Yeah. Family Affair. You know, <laughs> uh, fucking Mannix. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, know <Manics. laughs> you know, just whatever. Let's let's uh, get let's get characters that are in public domain. Dracula and the werewolf. Let's make let's make those comics. You know, the, the, 
And as long as we have enough product out there, and you've mentioned this before as a, as a former uh, comic book shop employee, you know, now we at least have market space on the racks. Mm-hmm. You know, we compete in some way, you know, uh, with, with what they're doing, even though, again, it felt kind of, okay, a Lost in Space comic. I, now I got to read about Dr. Smith, you know, being this treacherous, un- <laughs> disloyal, you know, oh, you know. You know. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah, the fact that it was genres and how all that has basically kind of gone away uh, mm. is really interesting to me. And, and I remember my mom, I don't know if you've ever asked your mom this or, or your, your, your dad before he passed, but asked your parents about reading comics when they were kids, did you? No, and, and in fact, I think that's probably why they kind of looked at me getting into comics like, what? Huh? Really? Yeah, in fact, my mom asked me uh, a few years ago, she was like, hey, Adrian, are you still reading them comics books? Mom, they're just comics, not comics books. They're just comics. So, oh, you still reading them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to see that. At once, that's like, cause she, you're her child, so she's going to be accepting, but also you can kind of sense that, oh, oh, okay, I thought you had, I thought you had kind of, oh, okay, I, yeah, I drew that. Like, the undercurrent of it. Yes, yes. Like, I was hoping you would grow out of it by the time you turned 30, but I guess that didn't happen, huh? <laughs> Oh, man. Man, my mom gave it up a long time ago, though, yo. Oh, yeah? She just, yeah, she was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <sighs> she was she was with it. But um, as far as Archie goes, man, mm. Archie has been around in so many different ways. Wasn't there an Archie cartoon? Yes. Um, in fact, there were two of them. There was one back from the uh, late 60s. Uh, there was a Saturday morning cartoon. And they used to play reruns of that um, as recently as about five years ago, um, if I'm not mistaken, here in Atlanta. And then there was another one that was on NBC when I was a kid. They came out in 89, 90 uh, called just, just Archie, you know, okay. part of their Saturday morning lineup. And that's the one I remember. You know, I remember the little theme song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the only thing I remember, my earliest memories are, I knew Josie and the Pussycats came from Archie, but I remember the Josie and the Pussycats. I remember that. <laughs> and I liked um, the song. Wasn't the song Sugar Sugar by the Archies? Sugar, the group was called, yes, it was the Archies. Yeah, which I found out later on, that was written by some songwriters, and those people singing it were just studio musicians. Dang. <laughs> they, were, they were not even a band, so. <laughs> but those were my earliest memories. And then I do remember, like, going to, like, maybe, like, Woolworth or, like, uh, the Dime Store or, mm. like, I don't know, not Weebolts. Weebolts was like a department store in Chicago. But I remember going to the store and seeing Archie comics. I remember later on seeing those Archie digests, like in the line at the grocery store, you know, the collections. And I remember reading through those and I was like, okay, man, they're still making Archie, you know, and reading them and kind of enjoying them. Yeah. 
I loved they had like a superhero line. I think it was my, the Mighty Comics crew, M- MCG. And so anything where like a character who didn't have superpowers got superpowers, I was kind of on board for that. So if <laughs> Lois got superpowers or Perry White got superpowers or Jimmy Olsen got superpowers or somebody <laughs> else became Spider-Man or, you know, in World's Finest where it was like the son of Batman and the son of Superman and their friends, I was with it, yo. I mean, that was just <laughs> sign me up. But I did, I do remember those digests, and I remember enjoying those and reading those, and buying, a, you know, quite a few of them. Because you know, once you kind of become a comics fan, like a true blue, you'll kind of try anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, let me see what this is. You know, yeah. <laughs> what what you, what were your first uh, connections with the Archer universe? I guess in comic form that you can recall. Oh yeah, I can I can easily recall that. Um, when I was eight, yeah, starting when I was eight um, in elementary school, I would have to take uh, speech therapy because I was a terrible stutterer, you know, um, back then. And um, so every like two times a week, I would have to go to the uh, the speech therapist there in the school. And, you know, other kids would be leaving as I was coming in for my session or whatnot. And I remember there was one time I came in and somebody had left behind an Archie Digest. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the little Archie Digest, man. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of like, you know, you, you do the thing of like, you look around to see, oh, are they going to come back for it? No, nobody's walking back real quick. Uh, okay, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll just take it then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, I took it and I, man, I must have read that thing to pieces um, because that, that was like the only comic book that I had for a while, you know, unless my mom would buy me one from Winn-Dixie or whatnot. But mm-hmm. man, I still remember a couple of the stories in there. Like there's one, <laughs> there's one where Archie and I think um, Archie and Reggie, they were taking like one of the new students that was coming into the school and they were tricking him, like try to sell him some wolf tickets. Right. Or they were saying, <laughs> we have this, <laughs> we have this game called lower the boom. You got to run down the hallway as fast as you can, fast as you can. That way you'll lower the boom. And the new student was like, oh, okay. So he started running. He ran right into Mr. Weatherby. And Mr. Weatherby just looked like, uh, young man, what are you doing? He was like, they told me to lower the boob. And, you know, so Mr. Weatherby's doing the whole come here finger to right, Reggie right, right. and Archie. Like, come here. <laughs> but, yeah, man, I remember loving that for, like, however long I had that comic, man. It must have been months. You know what I mean? And, you know, just the other day, like the other week, I was in the checkout line and saw an Archie Digest, an Archie Double Digest, you know, in the uh, line at Publix in the little rack. Okay. You know, by the chewing gum and stuff. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, man. And so I picked it up and, you know, it was just flipping through it while I was waiting. My turn. And, you know, my daughters were with me. They're like, Dad, what's that? Like, this is Archie. This, this, you know, Archie comics, you know, it's little comics. And, you know, again, they had it this day like my mama. <laughs> uh, like, like, like for all they do, I could have been holding like a like a like a like a like a rotten perch or a fish or something. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I guess like, uh, oh, come on. But yeah, man, 
those little those little digests and the regular Archie sized comics, the regular sized Archie comics, that stuff is fun. That stuff is fun. I mean, if yeah. you even read through it now, it's just just easy reading, almost like golden age books are. You know, it's not meant to be taxing. It's not meant to be terribly sophisticated. It's just good little cartoons. That's all. Yeah. 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 And, the, you know, it's funny because the Archie comics and those characters, the Archie gang, you know, that's got to be one of the longest running comics, you know, in in comics publishing history, you know. Yeah, certainly. You know, going back, you know, years and years and years. But and for anybody who doesn't know, like that was surprising to me that those characters have endured because, again, they endured through the 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 silly fun silver age into the over the top 80s into the dark gritty late 80s dark dour you know uh uh the 90s yeah and into modern day and still are being published yes mm-hmm. almost intact you know certainly you know some of the themes and, and some of the characters have been modernized and uh and that sort of thing but they're essentially at their cores at their nucleus or nuclei, the uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the same characters, you know. Um, and Archie Andrews was inspired partially. I forget who created the character, but was inspired by uh, Andy Hardy. I can see that. Yeah, like uh, Andy uh, Mickey Rooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh gosh, darn! The world is wonderful. There's there's no strife. There's no war. There's no. There's no violence or oppression or racism. Everything's, oh, gosh darn, you know, just that, you know. Just very innocuous. Yes, very yes, innocuous. Yes, super yeah. harmless. And, uh, like, when you think about it, the it's like the longest-running soap opera in history where, you know, it's all about the drama of the relationships between the characters and, you know, and... Uh, somebody's paired up with this person but there's a jealous person over here because there's a a love triangle or there's someone who's trying to angle in and the characters stay basically the same i mean in soap operas obviously the actors age victor newman's got to be like 80 years old now (laughs) yes (laughs) and he's still on that show whatever that show is young (laughs) and restless yeah Yeah. (laughs) he's still on there but they're kind of the same you know they endure and it's the same kinds of dynamics as far as I know, I actually, you know, have have, have some friends who do still read Archie. Yeah. Uh, and, and and they enjoy it, you know, for, you know, the modern, you know, modern takes on it and the uh, contemporary takes on it. But the other thing I was going to ask you about, because um, I don't think we are not you and I ever talked about it. Or maybe you did when we when we interviewed uh, Jaime Hernandez. But Archie had to have been an influence on Love and Rockets, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm glad you brought that aspect up because I was going to say you know, you know how like <laughs> a long running character will go through certain periods of a different artist. Like, for instance, like with uh, Scrooge McDuck, mm-hmm. there's a there's an instance where you could say, oh, there's the Carl Barks Scrooge McDuck. There's the um, Don Rosa mm-hmm. Scrooge McDuck. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Such as it is with Archie, there's Bob Montana from the 40s, you know, who initially drew Archie. And then you come into like the 50s and I believe all the way into the 70s, you have someone like um, Dan DiCarlo who draws Archie and who draws the definitive Betty and Veronica, you know? Right, right. 
And then it just kind of becomes like, you know, whoever can jump in and fill in, you know, after that, you know what I'm saying? And then coming into like the, after the uh, turn of the uh, millennium, you have, you know, guys like Norm Brayfogle and even Terry Austin working on those Archie books. And they look different. You know, they even called them New Look because um, Brayfogle, you know, you know, rest in peace, the late Brayfogle, you know, he was giving them a more cart realistic cartoon look you know but it still had the uh the hallmarks of those archie characters like archie still had the waffle iron you know side you know the fade <laughs> was he still wearing that sweater vest and that bow tie yo <laughs> well you know they kind of updated it for that you know what i'm saying but yeah <laughs> but yeah you know it, it, it was kind of funny to see like you know um jughead like People don't realize, I don't know if anyone ever has realized, that's not a crown he's wearing. You cut a fedora and you turn up where you cut the fedora at to make it look like that, like a hat. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's right. not a crown. <laughs> but yeah, stuff like that to where the characters have been around so long, things like the Jughead thing, you might have to explain to a younger reader or a newer reader. It's like, why is he wearing that? What right. is that on his right. head? Or why is he always doing this or whatever like that? You know, so there are some conventions that could stand to be updated. But for the most part, yeah, a lot of those relationships within the comics are intact. And absolutely, getting back to your initial point, you know, definitely an influence on um, Jaime and and by extension, you know, um, yeah. Hilbert as well, um, Beto, you know, because they read a lot of that stuff, you know, growing up. You know, and you have like those interpersonal relationships between the characters like that. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. I loved um, I love the fact that. I guess as a contrast, you know, and you know, again, the Archie characters have been have been updated, you know, in modern day. They're not writing them like it's the 50s, the 60s or, the you know, or the uh, even the 70s or the 80s now. But I do like the fact that there is consistency there is kind of a house style that has maintained, like you were saying, Dan DiCarlo does kind of like the definitive, you know, Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you do have some people in there like uh, like Harry Lucy and, uh, and George oh, Freeze yeah. who did their versions as well. And then, of course, uh, I think Adam Hughes did a Betty and Veronica mm-hmm. uh, series here uh, in, in modern day. But contrasting that against like Love and Rockets where – the conceit of that book being is that these characters age over the years. Yeah. You know, that 25 years in, they're not going to be 20 anymore. They're going to be in their mid forties. That's right. 30 years later, they're going to be in their fifties, you know? And so, you know, you do see these characters not sitting in stasis or, you know, sitting in, in Amber, you know, uh, preserved perfectly. No, 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 no. They're, they're moving forward and step and stepping forward, uh, uh, you know, like real life does, uh, you know, to 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 a great extent. So, yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, I can't, did we bring that up when we talked to Jaime? Did he talk about? I think I think he may have brought it up, you know, but perhaps not to the extent with you, that we just discussed. OK. But, yeah, when he was talking about, you know, growing up and, you know, um, in the book, you know, the art of Jaime Hernandez, um, they give a long, long, you know, thorough description of like, you know, he talks about what he was reading coming up. And, you know, those guys are just comics through and through. I mean, they they loved everything. So going back to what you were saying about being. Uh, true blue, a uh, true blue comic fan. That was definitely them, and it shows in the work. Definitely, 
Gotcha. Gotcha. You're a '90s kid, man. What did you think when uh, when Shooter started Valiant? <laughs> And and in 1991, and he 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 announced that he had acquired, you know, the rights to or the license or whatever to to uh to some gold key characters. Yes. Uh, Magnus. Yes. Doctor Solar. Yes. And Turok. Turok, that's right. Turok, yeah. So now, what did, <laughs> what did you think of those? Because I actually I thought it was cool that they were trying to update those characters. But I didn't read those comics, so I don't know if that if it worked or not. Did it work? Oh my man, you know what? <laughs> man, I'm I'm laughing <laughs> because oh my god, them was some snooze fest. Like those would be ones like okay, wow. man, oh my god, what the hell is going on? Jeez, come on! <laughs> like like it it didn't even really improve until like okay when he came out with Turok. That was good because Rags Morales, great artist. And that stuff kind of fit the tone of like, okay, that's more of what I'm reading now, like the 90s stuff. Okay, you know, that that's like on par with the image stuff. But like Magnus, robot fighter that was coming out then? No, no. And then they like put out classic Magnus robot fighter. You know, uh, Valiant was reprinting some of those classic stories. It's like, Oh my God! Oh, how can how can anybody read this stuff? What the <laughs> hell? And but even with those early um, Magnus Robot Fighters, the only high points for me were like um, there was a couple of issues that um, Ernie Cologne did, like two issues that are really good, really good. And then for um, Solar Man of the Atom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing that the only thing that was exciting was when uh because I think Barry Winston Smith had a lot to do with kind of re envisioning some of that, but he did only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was so disappointed. Oh my god, I was so disappointed when I bought like the paperback for it, right? Because it was an all black paperback. The outside you could barely make out the radioactive sign, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, oh man, and plus it boasted it had the world's largest comic panel. Mm-hmm. The world's largest comic panel. Like, you have to take it out and unfold it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so 90s. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so I got the paperback of it. I was like, oh, shit. Here we go. Here we go. And because I was expecting it to all be drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. You know what I'm saying? By this time, I knew who he was. BWS, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, okay. I open it up, and it's like... Wop, wop, Don Perlin. What the hell? Bob <laughs> Hall. What? <laughs> you know, you just like I, I know them from reading like old back issues of like uh, <laughs> Ghost Rider or you know Marvel Presents or something. But what the hell? Where's Barry Wilson Smith at? And he did like the backups for each of those issues. Yeah, like he kind of did the origin backups. You know, and I was like, oh. Oh man, damn, damn! Yeah. He, he was kind of like the creative director for the for the for the company to some extent. Yeah, because like you mm-hmm. said, and, and for anyone unfamiliar with Windsor Smith's work, you know he was you know he's a comic artist and a and a painter, but if he inked you, he had a heavy hand. Oh hell yeah! Oh, he yeah. had a heavy hand. He was like uh, anybody that you could think of in that in that way where. 
Like even when he inked Herb Trimpy on uh, Machine, Machine Man. Machine Man. Oh, it became. I was like, damn. I was like, damn. Am I fucking with Machine Man now? Because this yes. shit looks dope as fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> I am with it, sir. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was shocked because I was like, man, Winsor Smith is Herb Trimpy. What? The dude who drew uh, Hulk and... Yeah. Uh, Wolverine and Hulk and... Uh, what else did Herb Trimpy do? I'm trying to even Shit, remember. That's, that's like all he really did for 10 years. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yo. I was like... <laughs> Throwing off, but I was just like, man, Winsor Smith is making this dude look like butter. You're hot, <laughs> melted butter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, he must have, they must have given Shooter and, and the publishers must have given him a shitload of money, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be involved with that stuff. Um, because I remember that too. Yeah, I was like, you know, like, wow, you know. Um, and I was going to say one other thing in regards to that, just a little, just a little digression. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like he had that same type of deal with um, a couple of other publishers um, then, like he had with Wildstorm. Wildstorm said, oh, we got Barry Windsor Smith, man. He's fresh off the Valiant stuff. Oh, man, can you do this crossover for us? And Barry Windsor Smith is like, yes, I shall do that. And he did. <laughs> and when you read it, you're like, oh, Barry, come on, bruh. Come on. Did you even read the books before you started writing it, drawing it? Yeah. What the no. hell? No. And then he, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then over at um, Malibu Comics, they they took a chance over there, too. They was like, yeah, come on over here, man. Come on. Come on. What you got? Okay. I'm going to do room for y'all. Uh, energy vampire. Yep. And they're like, all right. Come on. Come on. Do it. Yep. And it's like, eh. I, I like room, though. I, I ain't going to front. I like room. But it's just funny how all of that started his comeback of sorts was kind of like him doing that Valiant stuff because he had kind of stepped away from the industry. It looked like in the late 80s, you know what I mean? Like his height was right after Machine Man and then he did some a few other comics after that, like covers, and then nothing until like the very early 90s, maybe even 90, 91. Now when did, speaking of digressions, when did Weapon X come out? Oh, you're right. Weapon X was... Actually, in 8990 in Marvel yeah. Comic Presents. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was funny because, you know, he started in comics in the in the 70s doing Conan and kind of imitating Jack Kirby. And then he starts painting. Mm-hmm. And then he gets involved in making posters and art books and, and portfolios uh, and that kind of thing. And really just being a professional f- fantasy fine artist, if you will. And then he kind of, like you said, he kind of makes this kind of a slow trek back into comics again, you know, doing Valiant and then Malibu and, and those covers were dope. Like all those rune covers and stuff. I just remember being captivated by him. Like he is going all in yo. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, as we bring it to a close, I did want to talk about how some of these characters, uh, have lived on into modernity or into modern day. Mm-hmm. You know, DC acquired the Charlton characters back in 1983, and then the Watchmen comic came out in 86. And then eventually, you know, we got a Watchmen movie. Eh-eh. But later on, we did get HBO's Watchmen, uh, which was great. Um, in 2001, uh, as far as the Archie characters are concerned, the uh, the Josie and the Pussycats movie came out. That's right. Didn't see it. <laughs> Um, but it was, you know, like starring Rosario Dawson and... Um, and Tara Reid. Yeah, yeah, Tara Reid. Uh, Tara Reid. 
Uh, and then in 2017, the Riverdale TV show debuted on the CW, which was a, a much more a darker, more brooding take on uh, on the Archie gang. Yes. Um, and then uh, in 2000, and then in 2018, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which came you know a year later, came out on Netflix. And same thing, kind of a, a darker. What's that? If you can get darker with a witch, a darker, more brooding kind of a version uh, of that as well. And and both of them, you know. Mm, 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 mm. No. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll give you the. Uh, I'll give you the last word. I was gonna say, like you know, some characters just can't. Well, I won't say they can't be updated. Anything can be updated, but you can't just do a simple one eighty on certain things. Like you know, the Archie gang. You can't do a one eighty and make them into like moody teenagers with some mystery it's like no no that's not no that's not that's not that's not that's not the happening right there you know <laughs> sabrina i can maybe see that because it says in the title sabrina the teenage witch yep but you can't go too gritty on her and too just dark you know what i mean you've got to have some semblance of what made the character so appealing in the first place you can just maybe turn the dial just a couple of notches to my, you know, to be more modern, but not so much that you forget what the character was. You know what I'm saying? I find that's what happens with a lot of these things. It's like they'll try to modernize the characters, but he do it so much that you lose the character itself. You know? Well, I did get a chance to watch uh, some of Riverdale and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And while they were darker, they still did keep that kind of earnestness at its core that uh, that we remember from the comics, uh, it wasn't completely absent, but it was modernized, and it is a bit. You know, they are a bit more brooding and and, and moody, like you said. Um, but I think that's you know your reaction to it, and, and probably mine too, are, are largely because you know we lived with those characters for decades and decades, and we remember them a certain way, and we consider it a 180. But you know, like you say, you know, some things, you know, they don't necessarily have to be modernized, but you know, they can be. And um, and these shows are successful from what I know. So, you know, maybe we're just outside the demographic. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Sidebar Forever is copyright 2020. Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson.